This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of meaningful sport. Today, we will explore existential philosophy, the development of talented youth athletes, and the phenomenon of practicing. While practicing can sound like boring repetitions, our guest has argued that it can be understood as a virtue and also as an important part of understanding meaningful movement experiences in sport as well as physical education. Kenneth Agerholm is professor at the Department of Teacher Education and Outdoor Studies at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences. His work has explored various contexts, including youth sport, physical education, and adapted physical activity. Welcome to the podcast, Kenneth. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Nora. I've been looking forward as well. We've discussed these topics a lot, actually, when We'd already known each other since we were both PhD students at Aarhus. Ten years ago, you finished a bit earlier than I did. And so in your early work, you were interested in looking at talented athletes and, and how they are developing in these talent environments, and especially in football, which is also the sport that you have played. And you still play with the COVID, obviously, causing some disrupt, uh, disruptions in this, <laughs> this area. I know that I shouldn't play anymore. Uh, <laughs> too many injuries, but I, I can't stop. Yeah. And so you started developing these ideas in this uh, life world of talented youth athletes and what it means to be a young person in these environments and develop your skills and abilities as an athlete. And existential philosophy is not the most obvious approach that people take when they work in this field. So your work was quite quite innovative and provides a first perspective um, looking at young people in sport. So perhaps just this practicing phenomenon that we discussed today was already part of your early work here. So let's just get kind of at the early parts of your academic journey and how these ideas started developing. Yeah, um, actually practicing was not part of my uh, early work uh, and, and that's actually uh, an, an in, uh, some, somehow an interesting point that uh, we can return to maybe because um, yeah, I, um, I, I played a lot of football as you, as you mentioned uh, I, um, and also at a relatively high level but then I was injured and so I engaged in in sports studies uh, I studied philosophy and educational philosophy as well and then uh, at some point i um, in in 2010 I, I had the opportunity to do a phd on uh, creativity in football 
how to develop uh, creative uh, football players. That was the, the topic. And so I, I was... Um, I was struggling with what, what, which approach I should uh, take to these these studies. I studied talent development literature, which is very much uh, sports psychology oriented, and I, I sensed that somehow it, it didn't it didn't really resonate with with my own experiences and uh, and my interests. And um, there's these uh, cognitive behavioral uh, approaches, exploring attention broadening training programs and uh, things like that to improve creativity, uh, which they describe as divergent thinking. Uh, and I, I, somehow I, I, I didn't really um, resonate with uh, with what I wanted to do. And uh, there's also this uh, debate about early or late specialization, deliberate practice versus deliberate play. And so, yeah, I, I, I was kind of struggling to, to, to find my own way uh, into this. I thought that, yeah, d- d- uh, deliberate play, that, that uh, has to be good for creativity. But at the same time, you, you need to... Uh, to practice to improve, as we'll talk more about later. So, I was not completely settled with. Uh, of, uh, I was struggling to find my my approach there. And then uh, my supervisor, uh, Agil Jesperson, who uh, has meant a lot to me and who uh, I owe a lot, he um, he said that maybe we should look at a game of football and see if we can observe some uh, creative moments to to just get a sense of what creativity in in football is. And this was. Uh, in uh, 2010, so we uh, we sat down and and saw the 2010 uh, Champions League final between uh, Inter and Bayern Munich, just to see if we could um, observe some some creativity. And what happened was that Diego Milito scored a fantastic goal in the in the second half, settling the match. And and what he did was he, he fainted. He pretended that he was shooting, and then uh, Van Boyten, the defender of uh, Bayern Munich, was trying to uh, block the shot. But then he didn't shoot. He he went uh, to the in the other direction and dribbled past him and, and scored. That, that was kind of. Well, I, I talked to to Eichel, uh, afterwards about how how can we uh, describe uh, how can we understand this uh, creative phenomenon in the game. And what we realized was that kind of the existing uh, talent development literature wasn't really helpful in uh, describing what what happened there it wasn't just uh, divergent thinking it was a, a very refined phenomenon right uh, you you have to uh, appear to the other you have to seduce the other you pretend that you're doing something and then do something else but if uh, van Boyden didn't uh, try and block the shot then milito uh, might have uh, continued that that way right uh, so you have to be open to it in the situation so it's not enough to just think differently it's a, it's a highly complicated and uh, refined phenomenon so so what we did was that we we tried to analyze that we drew on um, an existential philosophy to try and uh, capture the the dimensions of of that little episode that was kind of um, yeah, the, the starting point of, of my explorations in, in the PhD. I think this is a creative move to write a journal article from, was the clip something like 10 seconds long or something like this? Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you made a journal article out of this analysis of these 10 seconds, what happened on the field. I remember I, I, I ran in uh, I, I lived in uh, Copenhagen, uh, at that time and I, I went for a run and I, I realized that wow this is a 
the, the whole existence is in these 10 seconds, right? You have Kierkegaard's uh, three uh, stages of existence. You have the aesthetic part where, where you, uh, you, you seduce, you play with the other, and then you have the ethical part where you, uh, you, you commit to something, you, uh, you decide uh, something uh, in the situation. And then uh, there's also the transcendent part. Uh, it, it has to be valuable. It has to be meaningful in, in the situation. So uh, I had this... Uh, sense that uh, something uh, existential was going on in, in that moment. But then you had a little uh, situation of a crisis after this, because if I remember right, you saw this same player, Milito, doing this same feint in a game a few years later. So this challenged you to maybe refine your analysis a little bit, or did it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, actually, I was, uh, I was presenting this uh, paper at my first IAPS uh, conference in Rome, which was really um, just a, a slight detour. That, that was really a nice experience. I, I, um, I remember I, I wrote Scott Kretschmer in, in advance and asked if he, he was willing to talk to me as a young scholar. And he was very willing and, and it was really an including environment. So uh, I, had, I had a sense that it was possible to do sport philosophy and then to uh, work with these uh, philosophical approaches to performance and talent, talent development. So that was an important moment for, for me. But then <laughs> at, at my hotel room, the night before I was presenting uh, my paper, I saw Another football match. I don't remember which one, uh, but it was Inter playing again, and it was Milito playing again, and he did something quite similar to uh, to. Uh, <laughs> I, I recognized that move, pretending a shot and then going uh, in the other direction. So yeah, and, and I think that's uh, that was uh, disappointing at the beginning, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that, that's uh, he's just he's just doing the same, but uh, but that that's kind of. Um, as I reflect on it uh, later, that's kind of that's the whole point, right? You have to, uh, yeah, repetition is part of performing well in sport. It's it's not like creativity in, in sport is pure spontaneity or just creation out of nothing. It's uh, refinement based on uh, many repetitions. We can return to uh, the role of repetition maybe uh, yes. later, but but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at some point I um, I thought that the faint. In, in football is is kind of comparable to uh, telling a joke because you can tell a joke to to someone and it's and you, you you've probably told it many times uh, but you have to uh, recreate it in, in the moment to to make it funny right mm-hmm. and you, you have to uh, adapt it maybe to um, to the context the, the whole social uh, context and and the same with the, the feint you you probably perform the feint many times and you can practice the feint and, and that's an important part of it but you also have to be open in the situation and adapt it uh, to uh, transcend the expectations that's the point of both, both fainting and joking right you build up some expectations and then you uh, take it to a different direction yeah you distort the the logic so the yeah yeah what an interesting interesting comparison and when you said it obviously stand-up comedy is like they practice their jokes for a very long time and they do it repeatedly in different shows and they refine it as they go so none of this comes you know out of nowhere but so loads of practicing is involved in also in something that can look like spontaneous when you see it for the first time yeah exactly yeah yeah but so 
then after your PhD and after these explorations, you then wrote the book Talent Development, Existential Philosophy and Sport on Becoming an Elite Athlete. And there you move on to exploring the bigger picture of these young people developing. Creativity is obviously part of this. But here you mentioned that practicing was not part of your early work in this area but then in this book you clearly start developing this concept and using it so maybe you can share a few words on the book what you wanted to do with it and then we can start exploring the practicing phenomenon a little bit from there yeah definitely um well maybe uh, i should begin by um there's this uh, another iaps conference uh in, uh, this time it was in Porto in uh, 2012. I was finishing up my, my PhD and, and I um, I met this tall Danish philosopher, uh, Steen Nebelarsen, uh, and he, he listened to my presentation about uh, repetition in sport. And um, he told me that I had to read this book by uh, Peter Sloterdijk, Du musst dein Leben ändern. You must read this book, he said. Uh, and I was finishing up my PhD, so I didn't have time at, at yeah. Uh, before uh, January to read that book. So so I delivered my PhD. And then after that, a bit between, I delivered and, and, and um, defended. Uh, I read this book by Peter Sloterdijk, in which he, he presents the phenomenon of, of practicing. He outlines an anthropology of human being as a as uh, the practicing animal, the the being that cannot not practice. So he he kind of and then, and then he uh, uh, portrays describes all these ways that uh, people can and always have been uh, practicing. Um, and then uh, I, I was kind of embarrassed, right, because I I wrote my PhD about talent development in in football and creativity, and I drew on. Uh, uh, building approach to, to kind of describe how we should uh, care about the kind of person that we we develop in sport and i thought I, I was kind of satisfied with uh, with what i did uh, about talent development but then i was embarrassed to to uh, read about practicing and uh like it discusses uh, practicing in in sport quite a lot uh, in that book and i, I thought I, I didn't mention practicing uh in a word in my, in my phd uh, so i didn't uh, I, I remembered that uh, i i read about uh, deliberate practice but that that's uh, that's kind of uh, yeah we can maybe discuss that but it's kind of a, another approach to practicing it is it's more instrumental uh, account of, of practicing whereas uh, sloterdijk uh, describes this um, broad anthropological existential account of of uh, practicing so i, I was yeah, the, to make the the story uh, short, I, I was embarrassed and I felt like I, I had to kind of uh, include this and revise my um, account of uh, of talent development and yeah, learning uh, being in, in in sport. So I took these uh, ideas from uh, from Sloterdijk and also uh, others, and and uh, and I wanted to. Uh, expand and uh, and broaden and refine my my work in in my phd in the book that that you mentioned mm -hmm. so i mean everybody struggles to keep up with the literature i i also do so <laughs> feels bad to overlook something that seems so relevant for your phd for example but i, I just think it happens to all of us it's not possible to uh, trace all the developments that are relevant for your work but so then you found practicing and you read Sloterdijk's book and, and you found it 
something like a good foundation to uh, start exploring and work much more on this concept. And it's quite interesting that practicing is something that is so evident that, of course, there is practicing involved when you look at sport and other activities that we do. But somehow we haven't paid careful attention to what this phenomenon actually is and what what is going on when we practice. So maybe we can explore this a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good that's a good way of framing it because I I was embarrassed to uh, to have overlooked this uh, phenomenon, but then then I realized that uh, it has been uh, to a large extent uh, overlooked in in the sports science uh, literature. And Sloterdijk is um, I, I I was really uh, fascinated by his his work. He's kind of the German uh, rock star philosopher, um, and he's very brute in many of his um, arguments and uh, has uh, funny and, and brute ways of uh, portraying various positions. Uh, it was really fascinating uh, to, to read. And he, he argues uh, in the beginning that uh, none of the existing uh, theories of behavior or action, that none of them are capable of grasping the human, uh, the practicing human. So that, that's that's quite kind of a brute claim, right? And uh, and then he he also goes on to uh, to uh, define what, what practicing is, and it's it's very simple. He he defines it as as any operation that provides or improves the actor's qualification for the next performance of the same operation, and it, it, we do that all the time, right? We we do something to improve our ways of doing that it's very simple uh, and yet uh, none of the existing theories have been a- able to to grasp that uh, now i'm uh, i'm not sure uh, we can agree or disagree on uh, uh, with Sloterdijk with, with these these claims but i, I thought it was uh, thought provoking to kind of um, yeah <laughs> having uh, done a phd on, on talent development uh, i thought it was thought provoking to uh, engage with these uh, these claims and reminded me that there are uh, the the theory of uh, de- deliberate practice is there and I, I I did engage with that uh, in the beginning but uh, as I revisited uh, that I, I realized that um, the way that uh, it, it's kind of um, cognitive psychology and and the um, the way that um, Ericsson and and his colleagues uh, frame practicing that they, they describe it as as something that is uh, not inherently enjoyable it's uh, an instrumental activity it is something uh, you have to get it over with in, in order to improve your performance which they uh, analyze as a kind of uh, mental representation and cognitive uh, improvements so i thought that maybe it hasn't been uh, <laughs> overlooked altogether but, but maybe it has uh, been um, misunderstood or maybe the value of uh, of practicing hasn't been recognized in uh, in sports science, so that was kind of um, a big part of my project of uh, of uh, writing the book uh, that came out in in two thousand and fifteen to kind of uh, yeah explore the value of uh, of practicing in, in sport. Mm-hmm. And as as opposed to seeing practicing as being just something that has an instrumental value. Then you'd argue that it has that there is this value that is inherent in the activity of practicing. Can we try to deepen this idea a little bit? Yeah, sure. I think um, 
in one chapter in the book, I I, um, I write about uh, repetition. I think uh, it's really all about <laughs> understanding uh, repetition because uh, Kierkegaard, who I've been very inspired by him, he he um, he wrote uh, a book about repetition, and and in this he he says that the dialectics of uh, repetition is simple. What's repeated has been; otherwise, it couldn't be repeated. But exactly this, that it has been, makes repetition the new. So it's really simple, right? <laughs> That's, of course, uh, ironic because it's very complex. When you repeat something, uh, it, it has been. Otherwise, you, you can't repeat it. But when you're repeating something, uh, you're not trying to go back to uh, what has been. Kierkegaard, in that book, he, um, he describes how he lived in uh, Berlin at, uh, at some point, And he was walking around in, in Copenhagen, uh, wondering if, if uh, there is such a thing as repetition. He tried to go back to Berlin and uh, relive the things he, he did there. And what happened? He was bored by the repetition and things weren't quite the same. He, he couldn't, uh, yeah, uh, things changed. Uh, his landlord uh, was older and uh, all kinds of things uh, annoyed him. As he tried to repeat the same. The point is uh, in, in sport, where when you uh, repeat something, you, you can try and, and repeat the same and automate uh, repetition kind of in the behavioral, uh, behavioristic uh, sense of it. You, you can uh, do the same drill again and again and again and then uh, assume that it's automated at the end. So, so uh, but, but that's boring, right? To just do the same again and again. Uh, so uh, repetition has this... Uh, bad reputation of and, and practicing as well uh, of, of being boring that you, you have to do the same uh, same thing uh, for 10,000 hours uh, as Ericsson uh, and his colleagues uh, estimated mm -hmm. so uh, if you try and repeat the same and and do it for uh, for many hours then then it is boring but at the same time um, as Kierkegaard noticed uh, exactly this that it has been makes repetition the new so realizing that uh, you, you create something through repetition, that you repeat forward, you're not trying to repeat something that has been, but you're repeating in, in different ways. That, that's essential to, to understanding the inherent value that can be in, uh, in practicing. Just, I mean, look at the, if, if I take a stroll down in, in Oslo, uh, where I live now, um, I, I'd see, um, young people skating and uh, riding their BMX bikes, uh, performing tricks, practicing all kinds of things. And it's not like they, they uh, have to do it or they, they try and do the same. They, they continuously uh, observe each other and, and try and uh, repeat ways of uh, doing an ollie on the skateboard or uh, doing various tricks. And it, it's, uh, I think, observing those kinds of uh, phenomena would, would kind of that, that uh, it's difficult to argue that uh, practicing uh, cannot be uh, inherently valuable and enjoyable. Uh, but when mm -hmm. uh, looking at how, how people in, in various ways continuously uh, try and refine tricks and then do, uh, yeah, uh, improve their ways of, of moving. I think uh, I, I read uh, now, I, I moved to Norway some, uh, some years ago and uh, and uh, I work here at the Norwegian School of Sports Science, and uh, Arne Ness uh, has a, a central position here. And yeah, his, his work on deep ecology has uh, informed much of, of what is done here. And uh, I, I read this book of Arne Ness where, where he uh, discusses joy. 
and he he draws on um, on Spinoza, and I I thought it was interesting to see. I'm not a Spinoza fan, but um, he describes um, how um, joy is uh, concerns the transition from something uh, less perfect to something more perfect. And I thought that that's the joy of practicing. It, it doesn't concern um, the perfect. It's not the joy of doing something perfect, some uh, absolutely uh, complete form of movement. It, it's a transition from doing something uh, less perfect to something more perfect, uh, some, something better. And, and I think it's, uh, it's very uh, elementary in, in many ways, but uh, yeah, maybe sometimes yeah. We, can, we can forget. And it's interesting, you said at the beginning that for Sloterdijk, it's something like we can't help practicing, that we, in some ways, we do it all the time. But then I remember we had an interesting discussion. You organized this workshop in, in Oslo at the early 2015, I think. And we had a discussion in terms of, it was maybe Lars Dora Ronglan who asked the question that, can you distinguish if somebody is training or if they are practicing. And so is it then the difference between just repeating in terms of this more instrumental approach or then practicing as you describe it? So how do we distinguish? Is it some special approach that we have to what we do or is it something that we all do from our nature, so to speak? And Mm-hmm. then can we somehow cultivate our practicing <laughs> qualities if we can speak of such? So many questions, but maybe <laughs> some of these can be explored a little bit. Yeah, you have many, but good questions and uh, and broad questions. Uh, so let, let me maybe um, a, a point of departure to, to reflect on these things uh, can be um, Sloterdijk's claim that Human beings are the the animal that cannot not practice because everything we uh, we do contributes to form our way of being. He describes uh, human beings as as, as the, the point of difference between repetitions. Yeah, we, we are condemned to uh, distinguish between repetitions, and we we cannot do anything that 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 doesn't uh, uh, form our way of being. So in, in his uh, and anthropology of, of practicing where everything we do is uh, practicing. And he, he draws on, on Nietzsche, who uh, describes how we, we live on the ascetic planet. All human beings are uh, under these as- ascetic ideals. Well, what he tried to do was, was to uh, distinguish between uh, kind of the ascetic ideals of uh, Christianity and the, the priests uh, when, when he lived, which uh, kind of... Uh, led to, to some unhealthy ways of, of practicing, uh, uh, Nietzsche would say, full of resentment and uh, self-sacrifice. And, and then he, he sought to explore some, uh, and he, he was um, looking back at uh, ancient ideals uh, and values to describe some different ascetic ideals, the healthy ways of practicing uh, as heightening and strengthening some of uh, those ideals uh, he, he um, he discussed and, and uh, so so Sloterdijk uh, takes these. Uh, he, he remarks that uh, uh, he makes a remark that that there's a uh, an elementary claim that there are good and bad ways of practicing. But you cannot escape that uh, <laughs> that we are practicing in the sense that everything we do contributes to form ourselves as as people uh, as persons. But but then 
so yeah so so in that sense um everything is uh, is practicing but i, I think that uh, at the same time um that that would kind of be too broad uh, at least in uh, educational setting or in uh, working with with athletes in in sport and also for uh, i mean thinking about my my own practice now you mentioned that i still play football and that's true uh, at, at least sometimes and uh, i play some old boys uh, football and uh, i've I, I thought to myself that um, i don't practice when i play football i enjoy uh, all kinds of other things when i play football uh, i'm not occupied with uh, improving <laughs> those, those days are over <laughs> so I, I enjoy other dimensions of, of the game and being with friends you know and and so i think um the point is that I, I think that um, to be practicing, you, uh, I, I try to argue in in some um, in in some of my my papers that uh, practicing takes uh, some kind of agency. That uh, it, it takes uh, some uh, at least some minimal awareness of trying to improve what you do. So some uh, uh, awareness of yeah. Aiming for, for for something better. There's a German uh, educational philosopher. Uh, Bolno, who uh, wrote a, a wonderful little work about the, the spirit of, of practicing, it's only in German, uh, Geist, Geist is Übung. Uh, he argues that there, there's uh, real practicing and uh, uneigentlich uh, practicing. Uh, so, not not real practicing. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, anyway, so, so um, and, and he says that um, if, if you're trying to uh, improve, if you're have, have some kind of aim in your uh, your practicing then it's the real practicing and and, and so I, th I thought that this this should be considered uh, an an element of practicing to to have some some kind of agency uh, at least a, a minimal uh, awareness of uh, mm -hmm. of uh, actively trying to improve what you do but then you also asked uh, can you observe that from the outside uh, the, the answer would be no i, I don't think you can uh, um, see uh, at least not necessarily from the outside if a person is is practicing or not it, it concerns the uh, the attitude uh, of the, the relation between uh, uh, yourself and 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 what you do and uh, you can't see if uh, someone else is uh, practicing or, or not mm -hmm. i don't i don't think so yeah interesting point in terms of movement activities and maybe your the way you play football these days is not practicing anymore it's for other things i also think in my own life that when i practice martial arts to use the word then i think there's practicing going on i have loads of skills to learn that i would like to learn whereas when i go running i just go running for the sake of running <laughs> mm. so i really have like no clear aim of improving myself like if i went running mm. this is kind of i've reached my goal already <laughs> without any yeah. future goals yeah yeah this, this reminded me of um i tried the crossfit some years ago and i this um i i went there training right i wanted to train my physical body but then i i realized that there was some um qualitative elements of uh, of crossfit where when you you uh, lift the the barbell and then uh, there's a lot of exercises in in crossfit that require some uh, technique and uh, some qualitative elements and that that kind of um, it, it struck me that uh, 
you, you can observe from the outside if I'm I'm training or not and how many repetitions I, I do and, and so on. But you, you can't observe if I'm uh, working on uh, the qualitative elements of the exercises. If I'm uh, trying to improve from, from last time or, or yeah, work in, in, uh, in other ways on, on, on practicing my, my way of, of doing it. So I, th I think there's a, a distinction there to be made between uh, the kind of the, the physical training that you do and then the, the more qualitative uh, element of, of uh, practicing to, to improve it. Yeah. Thank you, Kenneth. It's so interesting. Uh, let's finish up for the first part. In the second part, let's connect this phenomenon of practicing more explicitly to the physical education context. But so thanks for the discussion. Thank you, Nora. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.